Hey, what's up, Warrior? It's Jeff Anderson from WarriorLife.com, WarriorLife Academy, and welcome to podcast episode number 412. Are you the protector of your family? Are you their bodyguard? Well, an incident happened to me this week that I want to share with you some tactics that you can take away of things that you can do like a bodyguard, but things that you absolutely should not do like a bodyguard. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, welcome, Warrior. This is Jeff Anderson, WarLife.com, WarLife Academy, and welcome to this week's broadcast. Uh, my This week, I had an incident that happened to me and my girlfriend that I really brought up, a, I think, a great topic to discuss with you. It was my birthday this month, and she got me a special surprise concert uh, tickets for both both uh, she and I. And now, I got to tell you, I've, I've got musical interests like all over the place. Like I love, I probably listen more to country and outlaw country more than anything. I'm a big fan of like Chris Stapleton and um, like, a lot, like a lot of those uh, groups and even old school rock and roll, like ACDC and Foreigner and freaking White Snake. I mean, I love blues. Uh, Steve Ray Vaughn was a big, I was a huge fan of Steve Ray Vaughn, George Thorogood, old, old school blues, even jazz. Like I can pretty much get away with everything, but I do have like, a, there's a little 12 year old girl stuck inside of me somewhere where there's something about these like teeny bopper songs. Sometimes they just get in my head and it's like, damn, that's a good song. So my go-to song, which is like my pickup song, like that really like lifts my spirits is Mbop by Hanson. I don't know what it is about that song, but it just, it gets me kind of like, it just makes me want to move. So, uh, so there's a big confession for the, uh, for the, for the broadcast here. And uh, kind of as a joke, my girlfriend got me tickets for the Hanson. I didn't realize that they were even touring anymore. And frankly, I only know one song of theirs. So it was more like a joke than anything, but Hey, let's go ahead and go to the concert. So they're playing here in St. Pete, Florida. We went this past Monday night. Um, I can tell you it was, she thought nobody was going to be there because she hates Hanson. She hates them only because her daughters loved Hanson when they were out and played Mbop constantly around her. So she got to the point where she was just sick and tired of it. So yes, I have the same, uh, I have the same musical interest sometimes as a, as a, as a 12 year old girl. The guys were definitely outnumbered about seven to one at this concert. There was a lot of like 40 year old women, like mid 30 to 40 year old women jumping up and down screaming when I guess his name is Taylor, like came out on the, out on the floor. They just scream and just went crazy. Right. So we're there at the concert. We left a little bit early. I knew they were they were saving Mbop until the encore. So we left a little bit before then. Yeah, I got to get home and you know catch the Golden Girls and drink my Geritol and then get get into bed. Right. So um, we were waiting for the Uber ride. We got outside of the venue. We were waiting for the Uber ride to show up, and a fight broke out just about twelve to fifteen feet away from us. This is outside of the venue, but security and I, why people were being escorted out, I don't know why, but security was escorting uh, a man out and there were a couple of other guys with him and a woman also. They got out of the venue 
And the guy that was being escorted out decided he wanted to fight. So he was fighting the security guys. And this broke out like right there in front of us. And instantly I went into action because of past training that I've had and past work that I've done. So in executive protection, um, I've done, I have done uh, like executive protection within the entertainment industry before. So concerts, venues, private venues, uh, diplomatic missions. I've also done, you know, I've been in combat. So I know that when you hear bullets flying or you you sense the attack is happening, the worst thing you can do is just stand there. So I went into action. We were there by the road. There was a vehicle in front of where the venue was. So I instantly pushed my girlfriend behind the car so that we could get behind the engine block. It all happened very quickly. Somebody else that was there on the street jumped in and got into a fight with these. I tried to get this guy in a headlock that was being escorted out. So like there were, there were a few other people that jumped into it. Meanwhile, there's a woman there who's screaming and yelling at the security guards. And, and so I got her and, and me behind that vehicle and behind the engine block on purpose. Like didn't even have to think about it because I knew we were right there. get to cover. Right. But it got me thinking that even though those were potentially be similar to actions, what I would take if I were doing an executive protection uh, job and I had and my, I had to protect my principal. There are some things that you don't want to do, like you're a bodyguard when you are protecting other people, like your loved ones, whether it's your spouse, whether it is like if I'm out with my grandkids or kids. How you protect a loved one in public is in some ways the same as being a bodyguard, and in some ways the exact opposite. So it really got me thinking about that. Because there is a lot of, I mean, we see ourselves as protectors. We see ourselves as warriors. Our, our family is, is counting on us to be that shield for them. And we just had another active shooter situation that happened in, I think it was Greenwood, Indiana, a 20-year-old with an AR-15 in a food court in a shopping mall was there and, and started just taking out people. Fortunately, there was a legally, uh, there, was a, there was a concealed carry uh, licensed person with a handgun there shopping with his 19-year-old girlfriend, and he engaged the threat, neutralized the threat, and saved people's lives there. It's amazing. A few people did lose their lives there, and a few were actually injured. But um, again, it goes into this, wherever we are, we need to be that protector for ourselves and our family. Now, I did go, I just recently had the broadcast that we did after the uh, the July 4th parade active shooter situation in Highland Park, Illinois. Please go back and listen to that broadcast or watch that broadcast over on YouTube. I did go over some specific techniques when it came to an active shooter um, that hit home because that that parade was might have been one that I was at. I used to, I lived just a stone's throw away from there. That might have been the parade that I was at for July 4th had I still been living back there. <clears throat> so there's some great tips there as well. But what I wanted to share with you were some things that came up in my mind about things that I would suggest you look at the same way as a bodyguard and other things that you would do the exact opposite. So I want to go through those now. So number one, let's, so first let's start with, these are the things that you would do as if you were a bodyguard, the same things that you do. Okay. So number one is that you need to train those people that you protect now. This is not something that you decide on or try to figure out in the heat of the moment when there's an actual attack happening by a criminal. The same way as 
if I come on a job and I, I'm meeting with the principal, whether I'm team leader or whether I'm part of the team, like everybody there, the principal needs to know, the person that you're protecting needs to know the exact actions to take. You, they need to know like, hey, when we're in the vehicle, we're in convoy, we're, these are the actions. Hey, if, if we are in a public event, if you're signing autographs, if somebody does this, this is what we're going to do. They need to know so that they're not sitting there trying to debate with you or argue with you or try to do something else. Like everybody has to move exactly according to plan. That education happens well in advance. The same thing with your family. Now, if you have very young children, that's that's maybe very different than if you have like a teenage daughter, right? Same thing with your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Um, but the time to have those conversations is now. My, my girlfriend now, like we've, we've had this conversation and she is somebody who is trained. She has a, she has her concealed carry license. She does carry with her and I do also. So we've already game planned out what that, what those, those actions are going to be. But if you don't have that, that conversation now, you don't know what they're going to do. In fact, even with my girlfriend, I told her, like, if we get attacked, like you need to, like, you need to get out of the area. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. It's like, Yeah. And so we discussed it. Now she understands those things, but that wouldn't happen if we hadn't had that conversation well ahead of time, right? So the, the education starts now, not in the heat of battle. The other thing is, is that you always want to have an evac plan wherever you are. So when you're a bodyguard, you always know, like you're, you're typically doing some sort of an advance. So you're going ahead of time, you know where the venue is going to be, you're already there, somebody is there scouting it out, you know where all the... Um, you know where all the exits are, you know where um, what the agenda is going to be, you know what the protocol is when they get there. Like all of that stuff is scouted out ahead of time. So you always want to know what it is that like how you're going to evacuate the area. The same thing goes for you with your partner or with whoever your dependents are. So when we got to the concert, the Hanson concert. <laughs> when we got to the concert, the very first thing I did was I looked and see, okay, where are the other exits here? Where you can typically pick them out, even in a crowd, because you'll see like there might be security there. Um, but I can see that where I can position myself wherever we need to based upon wherever I need to make a fast exit. That might not always be near the front entrance. In fact, that is oftentimes the worst place to be. I might want something that is where people aren't going to think to be able to, to go because most people, when they panic, are going to go where they came in. So people are going to rush to try to get out that, that, that front entrance there. For me, I noticed that where we were near the stage, that the, where the vendors were, that there was a, a door that they were going in and out of to get drinks, bring back ice, things like that. And that went into the other restaurant there. So it was like very easy for me to get over there, for she and I to get over there. And, and go through there while everybody else is just scrunching up near the front entrance there. In fact, there was a, a concert, I believe it was Great White, I think was the band, like an old 80s band or 90s band. And um, there was a fire in from the pyrotechnics at the nightclub. And everybody rushed to the front of the, you know, of the, of the entrance where, where everybody came in. And they got wedged in there with everybody panicking. People fell down. People were trying to climb on top of them. People were trying to get through at the same time. They all, all got wedged in this doorway and nobody could get out because everybody felt like they had to go through that front door. And a lot of people died in that fire in that nightclub when all they had to do was get up on stage, go out the back, 
uh, take one of the other exits, go through if there was a kitchen or wherever the 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 people are that like were serving drinks. Like where do, where do they come from? So knowing those where those uh, evacuation exits are ahead of time is going to always be in your best interest, and you position yourself based upon an evacuation plan. Uh, the third thing I would say is that kind of in tandem with that is that evacuation is your priority, not to stand there and fight with people. So we talked a little bit about this during the, the active shooter response scenario, but evacuation is your priority. So this is the same thing as if you were a bodyguard. So my job is to get in front of that, my, my principal, my client, and be that human body armor, be that shield that's going to keep them safe. Meanwhile, there's a vehicle there. You know, if I'm if I'm going solo, then that person, you know, I might I might actually keep them with me so that I can engage the attacker there. But there's a caveat to that. All right. But typically, like if you're in a if you're with a team, you got box formation, whatever, like everybody has their role. And so if you get in front of there, their job is to get the principal out of there. A really good, really good video you can watch of this is the Ronald Reagan assassination attempt. Where um, you know there was one bodyguard there. I'm, I'm, his name is escaping me right now, but um, but he took the bullet, and you could see like how quickly you could see that Reagan knew exactly what to do. Like he wasn't, he was just shuttled right into that vehicle, and they were gone. And so that's the same type of um, of a response that you need to have. You need to focus on the evacuation of at least the person that you were there protecting, if not the both of you. So that's that's the same thing as bodyguard. The fourth thing is you want to gear up as if you are a protector, not just of yourself, but of other people. And that's going to depend largely upon the venue that you're at, wherever that might be, whether you are not allowed to carry a weapon in, whether you are allowed to carry a weapon in. So the same thing goes when you are executive protection. Sometimes I was, I was on detail where even though I was protecting somebody, I wasn't able to carry, I wasn't allowed to carry in a handgun with me or a knife with me. It was a non-permissive environment. It wasn't allowed for the level that I was at, all right? So the same thing goes with gearing up for being out in public with anybody else that you are, are, are going to be there with defending. So for example, I always, like I carry concealed. I carry my handgun with me. And I have other equipment with me. I have a, like a knife with me as a backup weapon. I'll carry, I typically carry a second firearm with me as well at, for, for backup. So I'll have two weapons, two uh, handgun, two handguns with me, and then like a knife I'll have with me and things like that. Also, I'll carry with me um, an alternative weapon. So at this concert, I was not able to carry with me my handgun. I wasn't able to carry a knife in there with me, but I was able to carry my tactical flashlight in there with me, which I always have with me anyway. And that has bezeled edge. I can use that for striking if I need to. And I can use it to blind people. I've got, like I have, there's multiple uses for that tactical flashlight. I also carry a pen in there with me. Now it's not a tactical pen that you would typically have with you um, because I've had those taken away from me at the airport. Um, I don't want to chance it like going into the, the concert here. And it's like, sorry, you can't have that. It's a tactical pen. So all I, I carry a pen with me. But it's a good, it's a pen that I found that I can actually use as a tactical pen. It works really, really well as a tactical pen, like for striking. And so I have that with me. They don't take that away from me. So those are just a couple of weapons that I can bring in with me that 
are going to allow me a, a force multiplier that I'll be able to defend myself and somebody that I have there. So, so I had, I did have those weapons with me. If I need, if, if the attack did come toward me, I would be able to use those. All right. And then the other thing that I have is an individual first aid kit uh, or an IFAC or a trauma kit. And minimally, this is going to be a tourniquet, but you can also have something like a, an iCloud bandage that has, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's going to clot the blood. It's a, you can have pressure, pressure bandage there. There's different things that you can carry with you with a trauma kit. Um, I have one that I've designed actually um, that it's not even available yet. It's like not, not even in production yet, but it's working really well for me. And I, it's very discreet, very comfortable. Uh, does, and, and it works really, really well. <clears throat> now, the thing to go with this all is that you need to be trained on all of everything that you have with you. So not just your firearm, but trained in how do you prime your gear so that you're carrying it and then how to use your gear. So what I mean by that is if I'm going to be with somebody that I'm protecting, that's a loved one, I might be holding their hand. And so I might not, I have to be able to get to my, my weapon with, with one hand perhaps. And I need to be primed, ready to go. Like I can just put my finger on the trigger. I don't have to rack the slide. I don't have to take off a manual safety because now I'm not just, engaging a threat in front of me. I'm not just, I don't have just have to think about that attacker. I'm also thinking about my loved one that's with me. And I have to think about taking that, that safety off of, or because it's manual. That's why I love, I love a Glock. I don't have to, the safety is integrated, integrated into it. I can just put my finger on trigger. I keep a round in the chamber. So it's another thing. So I don't have to rack the slide there. I've got a round in the chamber. I'm ready to go because I am prepared for the worst case scenario that I'm going to be one armed. I carry appendix because if I'm carrying at three three thirty position on my on my right rear hip, and I'm injured with my right arm, or somebody grabs onto my right arm, or my schmoops grabs onto my right arm when she's afraid, then all of a sudden I can't use that arm now, and it's a lot harder for me to reach around to the other side of me with my left hand to be able to get to my weapon as opposed to appendix carry where I can I got it right in front of me there, okay? Um, and then of course, like any of the gear that you have, you want to be trained with it. So handgun, of course, but then also um, flashlight. Do you ever practice with your flashlight? You ever practice striking with your flashlight? What about a tactical pen? Um, do you know how to put on a tourniquet? Are you able to do that? Do you know how to use a pressure bandage? So all of those things require training ahead of time. All right. Um, so those are four things that, that, are, that are you would do in protecting others that you're with the same way that you would as a bodyguard. But now let's talk about the things that are the opposite of what you would do as a bodyguard, because there are some things you would do the opposite. So the first thing is what I call a kind of like public priming. So the same way that you prime your gear and, and everything with your, with your principal as a bodyguard, you're also going to prime the, your loved ones for what to do when you're out. And you're also going to prime your equipment, your placement, like how you act out in public, how you, um, how you interact out in public. So let me give you an example, like both me and my, my schmoop, my schmoops, Melissa, she, um, we our love language is touch. So we are always holding hands, We're always holding hands. Um, so out in public, that's great, but she knows that I am right-handed. And if I go to draw my weapon, even one-handed, I've got it. I'd rather do that with my right hand. So we always hold hands with my left hand and her right hand matter where we go. She knows now, like if we come out of some place and she's on the right-hand side of me, she moves around behind me to the left and takes my hand over there because she knows. 
So, so that's one thing because if we're ambushed, because that's what the way most attacks are going to happen, right? It's going to be a surprise for us, but not for the attacker. They've already gone through the OODA loop of observe, orient, decide, act. They observed us. Uh, they, uh, they oriented on us. They decided that, that we were going to be their target and they took action. Now we're trying to figure out what's happening. There's somebody in front of us and they're, and they're threatening us, right? When that happens, that freeze mode goes in. Like It's very possible that she might freeze up. And clamp down on my hand where I can't get to my weapon. Like I'm not, I might not get that arm back, or it could be a situation where I'm injured of some, in some way, but either way, I need to be able to prime myself so that we're, you know, we're holding hands on the right side. Um, The other thing that she and I have discussed that we do is that if there is a confrontation of any kind, so whether that's she and I are together, some things, we go to concerts a lot. And so sometimes like people get, angry and, and pissed off in, in front of us. Sometimes they're drunk. So she knows that if we're holding hands and there's something happening around us, like I'm not the target of something, but there's something happening around us, then I'm going to take my fingers out from hers when we're holding hands. I'm going to hold on to her hand still, but I'm going to hold on to the outside, kind of like, um, like holding on to her fist in a way, in fact, exactly that way. So she knows that there's probably most likely there's something happening, but we're not telegraphing that something is happening. If for if somebody is trying to have a conflict with me, I don't want to let go of her hand and make it look like I'm going to like I'm getting into fight mode. So I like to continue to hold on to her hand. In fact, it gives them it, it kind of disarm it can disarm them a little bit because they see that I only have one hand, but I can instantly break away and fight if I need to. All right. So that's another thing. The other thing is whenever we go to a restaurant, um, she knows that we are going to be like, I want to have, I want to be facing the exit. She never questions that. Uh, Don't be afraid if you go into a restaurant to be able to ask for a more like a table, that's going to give you a better view of the front door. um, That's going to maybe get you near the exit or near, near to the kitchen so that you can go through there. If somebody, if a fire does break out or if, uh, Somebody comes in the front entrance and starts shooting, you're there to the exit. So all of those things you're you're still going to do, but with somebody that you care about, like with a bodyguard, you might not have, you might not be able to choose like where you're going to sit or where they're going to sit. It could be a, a venue where there's already a placement plan in place there. Um, you might have to adapt to that. In this situation, if I'm the protector, I want to be the one in charge of, of, of placement and everything like that. Okay. Um, all right. The second thing that you would not do the same as if you were doing executive protection is you don't want to provide necessarily the cover. Now, of course, all attacks are, are dynamic, right? So this is all situationally dependent. However, whereas if you're a bodyguard, you might jump in front of your client if you if bullet if if somebody gets out of out of line or if an attack happens, you're there to be the shield. That's your that's your job, right? But you're also typically going to have body armor on if it is that, if it's a kind of principle that really you could expect some sort of a life or death situation they might face, you might wear body body armor. And so when that happens, yeah, you're absorbing bullets, but you also have some level of protection there. I don't wear body armor out in public, so I'm not as worried about that. But if I'm with my girlfriend and I jump in front of her. One, if they go to fire at me and I, let's say I'm, I'm being attacked by somebody that has a gun, 
they go to fire on me and I'm running toward in being in front of her, they might hit her either because their, their brain is thinking to shoot in front of me or to, to, to lead where I'm going, or they just miss because I'm a moving target and that's not easy to hit. And they miss and they go to the side. Well, that's going to go, that could potentially go into my girlfriend. Also, if I like in, you know, in, um, you know, it's like cover and evacuate. If you're in, if you're a bodyguard, like, like you want to know where they are because I've got to make sure that I'm positioning them. So I, I might reach back and I might have the client behind me, so I know where they are. But I don't necessarily want my dependent or the person I'm protecting behind me. They might they might trip me. They might bump into me. They might bump my arm when I go to fire. They might clamp down on my arm. They might clamp down on both arms. They might who knows what's going to happen there, right? So I don't necessarily want to be in front of them because they could be an obstacle. It's not like I've got my client who's being evacuated behind me. The other thing is, is that if I'm not wearing body armor and you know the criminals maybe didn't splurge for the expensive hollow point ammo and they're using full metal jacket, then those FMJ rounds could possibly go straight through me and right into the person behind me that I'm protecting. So... I could be a bullet magnet rather than a bullet shield for the person that I love. So you don't necessarily want to jump in front of cover or or become that cover for your loved one. All right. So what does that mean that you do? Well, you want to, again, this goes to education, like educate them that they need to escape the area. They need to get to cover. They need to not try and be there and like, and, and, and try and protect you because that's what they, because they love you and they want to, they want to stay there with you. Okay. That was, that was the conversation me and my girlfriend had to have about like, you need to evacuate. It's like, I'm not going to do that. Like, no, you are, you are going to do that. And we talked about it. Um, but the last thing I'll, I'll bring up here is that an option for you might be to run in the opposite direction. So you want them to run away but here's the thing is that if you stay flat-footed, if you are not necessarily seen as a threat, like the predator mindset, um, or just, you know, as humans, we, we have a predatory instinct the same way that wolves do. So with a wolf, if they see like something take off away from them, that signals to their brain lunch, like they're going to attack that. And the same thing for somebody that might be with you if they take off running, that criminal may, in their reactionary mind, see that as threat or like um, as basically like a target. It might be that they don't want that person, like if they're screaming, if your loved one's screaming, help, 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 they don't want to be found out. And so they might shoot at that person. Now, at the very least, if they're running away, they're shooting at a moving target. The further they get away, the less likely they are to be shot. Um, so they can still evacuate the area there, but just know that that is a possibility. But what helps nullify this is for you to also move in the opposite direction. So what that does is it it basically creates additional movement that your criminal is is focusing in on that takes the focus away from the person that you're protecting, so letting them go. And now you are a moving target, so you're going to be harder to hit. Also, you can draw your weapon as you're moving so that that's going to allow you to be able to get into act, get into action faster. Um, and it is like, again, overall it's protecting your, it's protecting your loved one. 
Would you do that as a bodyguard? Can you imagine that? Like, you know, bullets start flying and you're running away from your client. Like that's not what you want to do. But even if your loved one isn't moving, by moving offline, by getting off that X and moving away from them, you can still give them direction to run away. But by, just by getting offline and getting away from them, you draw the focus of the criminal away from the loved one. All right. So, all right. So those are seven strategies that some for, some against the actions that you would take in defending others like a bodyguard. So I would like to hear from you, though. I know we have a lot of law enforcement. I know we have executive protection specialists that are also listening to the show. We have a lot of military contractors. Um military as well, security. So I want to hear from everybody out there. Like, what are some other things that you would do the same as a bodyguard in protecting a loved one? And then what are some of the things that don't work in protecting a loved one as a civilian when uh, that would be the opposite of a bodyguard? So I'd love to get your feedback. You can go ahead and leave it here if you're watching the broadcast on wherever we're streaming on on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, wherever we got those uh, on our social media channels. Or you can go over to our blog over at warriorlife.com. You can go to warriorlife.com slash podcast. That'll get you over to all of our podcast episodes there. You can also go ahead and find us. Um, well, you can go inside of the Loot Locker and get the cheat sheet for this also. And the other thing that's inside of the Loot Locker is um, there's, a, there's a, an interview that I did with one of the top bodyguards in the country on how to be a better protector for you and your family. And it covers a bunch of things like when you're traveling, um, when you're staying at hotels, different things that you can do from the standpoint of a bodyguard. And that's, you know, it's a be your own bodyguard program. And you can get that. It's free inside of the loot locker. All you have to do is go over to warriorlife.com slash loot, and you'll be able to go ahead and sign up there and you'll, that'll get you inside. There's a whole bunch of different resources in there. You can get all of the cheat sheets for all of our episodes uh, for, well, we're still working our way backwards on those, but for a hefty amount of our past podcast episodes or one page cheat sheets in there. So again, go on over to warriorlife.com slash loot and you can get everything there for free. All right. And until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us and leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.